Welcome to She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie Sutton, a 19-year-old from the Bay Area studying psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. She Persisted is the teen mental health podcast made for teenagers by a teen. In each episode, I'll bring you authentic, accessible, and relatable conversations about every aspect of mental wellness. You can expect evidence-based teen-approved resources, coping skills, including lots of DBT, insights, and education in each piece of content you consume. She Persisted offers you a safe space to feel validated and understood in your struggle while encouraging you to take ownership of your journey and build your life worth living. So let's dive in. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of She Persisted. If you are like me, you just started school, like last week, this week, classes are beginning, maybe you just moved into college, whatever it is, you're probably meeting new people, making new friends, and this episode is your perfect guide for how to do that. It's an amazing scientific perspective on what goes into making friends, how our anxiety and internal biases can get in the way of that. It covers loneliness and social anxiety and so many things that were just really enlightening and helpful for me going into this school year that I wish I would have known before. So today's guest is Dr. Marissa Franco. She is a psychologist, author, professor, and friendship expert. We discuss so many things in this episode, including untrue beliefs about platonic relationships, how loneliness can prevent us from engaging in relationships, the first steps to take in building relationships, and why this will turn out better than you think it will, and how the evidence backs that. We talk about how to build your social infrastructure and what that is, why early interactions are awkward. We talk about working through social anxiety, and then I got to pick Dr. Franco's brain about all things introverts, extroverts, friend groups, and best friends. This is, again, an amazing episode, and I really hope it helps with back-to-school season and making new friends, meeting new people, and easing those, those worries that we all have. So if you find this episode helpful, as always, make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen. Subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And follow along on social media at at She Persisted Podcast. And if you post about listening, make sure to tag me for a little repost and a shout out. I really appreciate you all listening and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I do. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Franco. I'm so excited to have you on She Persisted and dive into all things friendship. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Love what you do. Thank you. So I would love to hear your background, how you became a psychologist, how you started teaching, how you started specializing in this field and really becoming an expert on friendships and relationships and all of that. Yeah. So for me personally, I felt like I was raised on some ideas about love that, you know, you find this romantic partner who's going to complete you and that my worth was really dependent on finding a romantic partner. And so in my young 20s, when love wasn't going right, I was sad, I was depressed, and I turned to my friends and we created this wellness group where every week we met up and we meditated, we cooked, we did yoga, and it was so healing. And I realized, Sadie, that a lot of the reason that I, much of the reason that I had taken these breakups so hard is because I had been taught all these incorrect messages about love. And I felt like all the love that I had in my life that was platonic didn't matter and that I was unlovable, even though I had so much love. And so I just felt like this was a larger cultural problem that we weren't talking about enough. And so later on, as I was getting my PhD, once I became a professor, I decided, okay, I guess I'm going to address this. Yeah. 
if you were talking to a teen now about the kind of expectations or understanding or beliefs about friendships and love and relationships now, what would you say based on all this insight and knowledge that you've gained up to this point? I would say we need to reflect and revise on our scripts for friendship, right? I think from studying friendship, I've realized how expansive it can. Historically, romance was part of friendship more than it was marriage. People got yeah. married because it was practical and they wanted someone who had good resources and they, the genders were considered too distinct, at least for heterosexual folks, for people to actually have a deep connection with their spouses. So people held hands with friends. People carved their names into trees with friends. Like friends were really people's most intimate connection. And when I say romance is a part of friendship, I mean, we can feel passionate about our friends. We can feel like we want to spend all this time with them. We can idealize them. And that's normal. And it's been normal throughout history. And, you know, now I think there's a lot more talk about you can also choose a friend as your life partner. You don't have to necessarily choose someone that you're having sex with, right? And so what I would say to your generation, I think for people looking to connection is to think very expansively about what those connections might look like. Yeah. So I think it'll be helpful to kind of lay the foundation about loneliness and unpacking that, understanding that, and how to move away from there. Because it really is like the opposite of friendship and feeling connected, feeling supported, is feeling really alone and lonely and misunderstood. So I would love to understand your your definition, your perspective on loneliness, what that means. Does it mean an absence of friends? Is it how you're showing up in your relationships? Is it certain dynamics? How do you define that before we dive into how to overcome that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think really relevant for teens because, you know, teenagers are like the loneliest generation we've ever had. Yeah. Um, it's a real, real crisis for you know, I don't want to be the finger wagging millennial here because y'all, <laughs> y'all give it back to us. But to just be factual about it, like, yeah. you know, youngest teenagers are, are, you know, the loneliest that we've ever had. Teenagers are lonelier now than teenagers have ever been. And it's quite tragic. And, you know, people, I think researchers define loneliness as not having as much social connection as you want. And that can happen from being isolated, but it can also happen from being around other people and feeling disconnected from them. Like I think inauthenticity is also a form of loneliness when you're not actually vulnerable with people and you're not sharing your true self. But Sadie, something I like to emphasize about loneliness is from the research I've read, it's not just a feeling. Loneliness warps your view of the world. Lonely people think they're more likely to be rejected than they actually are. Only people report having less compassion for the human race, liking their roommates less, being more hostile towards others. And so when we're lonely, it kind of affects our, our viewpoint and our mindset. We actually enjoy social interaction less. We have a desire to connect, but also to withdraw. And you can think about this from an evolutionary perspective that evolutionarily, if we were alone, we were in danger and separated from our tribe. So we become hyper vigilant for threats around us. As much as we want to connect, we also want to keep ourselves safe which yeah. is part of the reason why when we're lonely, we want to isolate. And so that's all to say for me, when I'm in a bad mood, I don't know where it's from. When I think my friends don't really like me, when I think if I reach out to someone, they're going to see it as a burden or they're not going to be interested. I know now from the research, or even if I think back to my friendships and I'm, I'm not seeing them as great as I usually do, right? I th I'm thinking about slights <laughs> instead of like the joys of friendship. I know now from the research that I've read that that's my lonely brain speaking. That's not necessarily the truth. And so I'm not necessarily going to 
believe all the thoughts that tend to pop up in our brains when we're lonely. That's so interesting. And I definitely relate to what you're saying from various seasons of life. And as relationships fluctuate, how do you recommend that people kind of overcome that bias? Is it recognizing it like you mentioned and rewiring it? Is it increasing your relationships? And then with time, those beliefs will shift as well. How do you recommend that people kind of combat those false beliefs, false kind of bias that they're seeing the world through because of loneliness? This is a great question, Sadie, because of all the interventions to target loneliness, the most successful aren't actually about connecting people because if you're lonely and you try to connect with people, often you'll still feel a little bit lonely yeah. because of how loneliness affects our brains. But but they've actually focused on trying to change or reframe some of our thoughts when we're lonely. So char- it's like um, almost like CBT, kind of behavioral therapy, where you're sort of trying to challenge some of this like negative view of the world that you have when you're lonely. Something that I like to suggest to lonely people is think about in the week when you're most lonely and reach out to someone to connect before that happens. If it tends to be on the weekend, you know, reaching out on a Friday, for example, because again, when you're lonely, it's actually the hardest time to reach out. Your is just like, they're going to reject me. They're not going to be interested. Right. And so reaching out before you tend to get to that place of loneliness The other thing, you know, loneliness can be self-reinforcing because of how it affects how we view the world. And we tend to become more self-absorbed, even in conversation with lonely people. Lonely people actually like their conversation partner less. They they talk more about themselves. They show less interest in other people. This is all sad. We don't want to blame the victim here. There's a lot of systemic reasons why we're lonely. But if you could just, instead of focusing on yourself and how people are treating you and how they might reject you, actually ask yourself, what can I do to make another person feel like they belong? Because when we do that, like pro-social behaviors, for example, which is just kind of being kind and thoughtful towards other people, that's linked to feeling more connected. So can I reach out to someone to check in about them, right? Can I do something nice for my friend, right? And the last bit of advice that I have is when you approach your loneliness passively, when you just start scrolling on social media or watching TV, it tends to get worse because those sort of activities encourage increased lethargy that makes it harder to then get out of that state and connect with people. So just doing something more active when you're lonely, go for a walk, take a shower that can help sort of stop the, the loneliness spiral from continuing. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by teen counseling. Social anxiety and loneliness can be really overwhelming and a great way to get support through that and be held accountable is therapy. So if you haven't heard of teen counseling before, it is BetterHelp's branch of counseling and therapy specifically for teenagers. It's an online therapy program with 14,000 licensed therapists within the network. They offer support on things like depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, and so much more. And it's via talk, text, and video counseling. So depending on what level of support you're looking for, they can meet your needs. It's a great way to get help really quickly and not have to deal with local waiting lists or finding providers and all of that kind of stuff. So what you're going to do is you're going to go to teencounseling.com slash she persisted. You're going to fill out a survey about what you are hoping to work on in therapy. So again, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's anxiety, etc. And based on that, 
you are matched with a therapist that specializes in that area. Then if you are under 18, you put in a parent or guardian's email to provide payment and give consent for treatment. None of your information in that survey is disclosed because HIPAA is enacted. It's just that they can, again, give consent to treatment and provide payment. But yeah, if you would like to start your therapy journey or start meeting with a new therapist, you can head to teencounseling.com slash she persisted to find a therapist today. Are there any other things that are like behaviors or patterns that increase loneliness? Then you mentioned getting outside, getting active, taking a shower as far as things that decrease those feelings of lethargy and loneliness. Are there any other things that listeners can be aware of within their routines that might be adding to those feelings? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Why is your generation so lonely? TikTok, social media. Yeah, it's, I mean, social media is complicated because the research finds that it can make you feel more connected if you use it to reach out to others and plan in-person interactions, but if you use it to replace in-person interactions, which is what most people do, because before the TV, we would spend our leisure time actually hanging out with people in person. Yeah. <laughs> then we got the TV and now we have social media. So it's, for most of us, it, it does replace time we would have might have otherwise spent actually meeting up with people in, in person if it were like decades ago. And that unfortunately is going to make you lonelier. And the complication, is, again, one complication is if you're just scrolling through social media, that makes you lonely. If you're more active about it, you can become less lonely, like commenting on people's pages and posting something, for example. So that's why there's like nuance here. Like it depends on how you use it. But overall, even though we can't say correlation is causation, 2012 was when everything changed. Like teenagers be started to become so much more de- disconnected and it's continued to happen. And this is true in like 36 out of 38 countries, I believe, from, from one study, right? And we saw like, there's a study that looked at at why, and, and there's this deterioration of the social self, which is like all the things that help us connect with people, like feeling good about ourselves or, you know, reaching out to others. There's a deterioration of that happening. And, and the studies actually find that one of the ways social media is doing that is if you're on your phone all the time, you're not looking into people's eyes. And that's how you develop empathy, like eye contact. And they actually did a study of people that went to this camp, young people that went to this camp where they couldn't use their phones. And by the end, they took this implicit measure. It was like an unconscious measure of empathy and they actually increased in just one week in their level of empathy wow. for other people. So like spend some time away from your phone basically, yeah. but also use that time intentionally to like spend it with people you love. Is there, obviously everyone is different. There are introverts, there are extroverts. Is there like a an amount of time that you're spending with other people or even that that you're not where you're like okay this could be problematic like it seems like this person is isolating more i would recommend that they spend more time with other people is is there like a number or some kind of metric that listeners can be like okay wait i'm way off from that maybe i should check in with myself i i don't know if i can give a specific set of time but And it's hard for me to even say, because from what I know about loneliness and how it can manifest as these like symptoms, like thinking people are going to reject you, right? I think that we don't always know when we're lonely. Like it, we start being in a bad mood before we can actually be like, oh, I'm lonely, right? Mm -hmm. We start thinking other people are going to reject us. So I think it's more so about when do you start notice yourself becoming really cynical (laughs) about social interaction and feeling insecure about social interaction or just being in a bad mood that you can't identify like you don't know why that's happening like these are all the signs that okay maybe you are starting to feel a little bit lonely okay so for listeners who have heard these 
all these things that we've said and like, okay, definitely lonely. That's what's happening. Where do you go from there? How do you combat that loneliness? How do you start making, building these relationships, creating friends, building this community? What is your advice there? So Sadie, we are so afraid of rejection. And according to the research, it's a lot less likely to happen than we think. But the only way that you're going to know is if you put yourself out there, right? So for example, I went to Mexico City solo trip. I know there's a study on the liking gap. When strangers interact and they predict how much of the other person like me, they tend to underestimate how much people like them. And the more self-critical they are, the more pronounced this gap is. So I'm just sort of like, I am here in Mexico City, I know people transition tend to be particularly open to friendship. So for you, you're in college, freshmen, transfer students, right? For me, I was in Mexico City, other travelers, right? I know that that's the place where I'm, where I'm even less likely to be rejected because they have yeah. a need for social interaction just like I do. So like, there's this guy sitting next to me at a coffee shop speaking American English. And I just say, oh yeah, like, oh, where are you from? You know, and and, and I just ask him like, oh, I bet later, it's like a language exchange. Do you want to come? He comes, I meet people at a language exchange and I ask them like, hey, you know, do you want to meet up for dinner? We went to, to this wrestling match. Everybody said yes. And so that one of my biggest tips for connection is to people like you, because when you do, according to the science of something called the acceptance prophecy, when researchers manipulated people to think they were liked, even though it wasn't true, that made people open, agreeable, warm, and they'd actually become more liked, right? Assume people like you, Find people that you like already and you have to initiate. Don't just wait for them to ask you to be their friend because that's actually related to being more lonely over time when you think friendship happens without effort, whereas people that see friendship as taking effort are less likely to be lonely over time. So make the ask and it's going to feel really scary for you, right? But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. And that also doesn't mean that your body telling you that they're not going to be open to it is is the truth. But the only way that you're going to know is for you to actually do it. So make the ask for someone that you've been wanting to connect with. Once you have made that initial intro, what are the next steps to to take to continue to maintain that relationship, to continue to build that friendship, especially if you are still feeling lonely and you still have that bias of like, no, rather not. Like, I think that I might still be rejected or that I might still be disliked. There's still that barrier when you haven't fully established that relationship. What is your advice there? Absolutely. This is where I like to suggest something called building your social infrastructure. So researchers have found that for friendships to happen organically, you need, this is from a sociologist, Rebecca Adams. She says, you need continuous unplanned interaction and shared vulnerability. You need to meet up repeatedly over time and stop being guarded, right? And so you can create social infrastructure by signing up for things that are repeated over time, extracurricular activities, book clubs, you know, even class, if you're like actually conversing with people and sharing something that's a little more vulnerable about yourself, because that then you capitalize on something called the mere exposure effect, which is our to like people This is completely unconscious just because they are familiar to us. So a study that's based on this, researchers planted women in a psychology class for varying numbers of classes. People in the class didn't even remember any of these women, but they liked the woman who showed up for the most classes 20% more than the woman who didn't show up for any. This is completely unconscious. So what does that mean that once you sign up for this continuous event over time, 
the first time you get there, the first month, the first two months, it's going to be awkward. Your exposure effect hasn't set in. My issue when I was in college, I show up once and I'm like, nobody's talking to me. I'm not going back. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you, you know, commit to showing up for two to three months with the awareness that it's inherently awkward in the beginning. Like that's how our brains are wired. Be suspicious. You don't trust them yet. They're not familiar. Right. But that doesn't mean it's going to continue to be like this over time. So give it time and space to develop. And as you're doing that, you want to generate, start to generate exclusivity with some people in the group. Exclusivity means I have experiences and interactions with you that I don't share with other people in this group. So let's say you're at the book club, like, oh, would you want to like meet up for tea before the, before our book club next week or after? And then you're just inherently going to keep seeing them because you have that continuous unplanned interaction. So it's just a little less scary and you don't have to, you don't have to pull as much weight social anxiety one of the like biggest barriers that i think people experience in initiating these relationships and these friendships you talked about making the commitment to continue to show up especially in the beginning when it is awkward and you're like i would rather just leave it a void what is your Mm -hmm. advice and tips there is it just doing the opposite and remembering like it will get better the anxiety the awkwardness will decrease um are there different ways that you can mentally prepare yourself are there different biases that you can listen for and your thoughts and beliefs where you're like actually that's not correct I know this is the loneliness speaking to me what what is your advice for people that are really struggling with social anxiety but but want to build new friendships and want to get to know new people yeah so social anxiety kind of comes from the sense that you're not good enough right and yeah. people are going to find out so that's the struggle of social anxiety And the irony though, is that when we have the sense that we're not good enough, it triggers this confirmation bias where we're looking for all the signs that people are rejecting us and ignoring signs of acceptance. So I will say one to work to overcome social anxiety is to be intentional about taking in moments of safety and acceptance. Like, oh, this person talked, you know, was interested in this conversation with me. Let me take a moment. What does that feel like for me? How do I absorb that in my body, right? Because fundamentally, our our perception of how worthy we are, according to the sociometer theory, which kind of argues that self-esteem is not about how you feel about yourself. It's your gauge of how you think others view you. So the more that you can take in that others value you, that's going to help decrease your social anxiety over time. And so that's really important. The other thing that I would say is if you're focused, if you're socially anxious, you're insecure, right? Any of the, any of the ways that, that some of our own issues might harm us. We're often so focused on ourselves and how we come off and talking too much, right? Am I coming off as weird, awkward, cringy? I'm going to get all quiet all of a sudden, right? And and that sabotages us because connecting with people is about making other people feel like they belong, like focusing on other people. And so think about what there's this interesting study that about people with social anxiety. They have like these safety behaviors, which is the behaviors they do to preemptively avoid rejection like not talking or not engaging or blabbering and so what researchers said to like just give up those safety behaviors the connection was actually better feeling more connected to the people with social anxiety and so i think just letting yourself like fail a little bit you don't have to be perfect you're focused on the other person what can you do to show interest in the other person so you can get your mind a little bit off of you and a little bit of off your own self-consciousness I love that. And I think that's such a realistic thing to do in interactions and so helpful to get yourself out of your own head. I, I've never heard that tip before, but I think it's a really is a game changer and in, in all relationships. And even if it's 
like a professional relationship expressing interest in the other person if you're networking I, like you said that will do so much for the relationship and how they think about you in the long term it, it really is just a game changer Absolutely. this week's episode is brought to you by amazon prime student That is right. This semester, I am working with Amazon Prime student. I'm so excited because I love Amazon Prime. I buy so many things. Today, I Amazon Prime myself some roach spray because there was a roach in our dorm kitchen. So much fun. Love Philadelphia. Love college. Anyways, we love Amazon Prime. It is the most efficient, amazing, quick way to get all of your shopping needs met when at college. You get a six-month free trial with Prime student, and then it costs 50% off. After your trial ends, you also get free subscriptions to LinkedIn Premium, Grubhub Plus, Calm, Course Hero, 10% off Student Universe, and so many other deals that they have made with students in mind. Amazon Prime Student is my favorite thing. Today, I just got the new Color Wow volumizing spray from Kim Kardashian's hairdresser to try and get my hair more voluminous. Pick that up from the Amazon Locker. We love Amazon is, is the moral of the story here. And if you would like to order... The books mentioned in today's episode, including Dr. Franco's book from Amazon, they are linked in the show notes. And if you sign up for Amazon Prime Student, you can get free shipping and a free trial. So with that, you can use the link in today's show notes or go to primestudent.co slash join student. Again, that is primestudent.co slash join student. I would love to hear your thoughts on introverts and extroverts. Do you think that's like a real thing that's adding to relationships and friendships and kind of just adding to the mix? Or do you think it's this loneliness kind of showing up, these safety behaviors or or something else that's kind of adding to people feeling like they have different social batteries? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, how you put it, Sadie, is is a great way to put it. You have different social batteries, you know, stimulation. You relate to social stimulation differently, right? Extroverts, they can be in big groups for longer periods of time. Introverts, they like to have small circles. But I also often think we conflate introversion with like social anxiety or not being confident or not having the skill of reaching out to people. And neither of those things are true, right? Like I'm an introvert and a friendship expert. Oprah is an introvert. (laughs) So I wouldn't use like introversion as a crutch to say, I'm just bad at social interaction because actually introverts have some really good skills. Introverts tend to be better listeners, for example, people that are uh, what's called openers in the research. They get other people to open up. They have more close friendships because of that, right? They tend to to develop more intimacy with people over time. And so I think if you're an introvert, it's just about leaning into your strengths. Like I used to feel weird about not being like party, party, but you know, some people like someone who's not party party all the time, right? That the way you show show up in the social world is also okay. Like being a quieter, being more of a listener, being an observer, like people also really, really value that too. So I think if you're an introvert, like you don't necessarily have to change who you are, but you have to acknowledge what are the strengths that come out of my introversion and how can I harness those, right? By maybe setting up a one-on-one interaction where I, I typically tend to shine versus having pushing myself to go out into this big group setting. The idea of like the one-to-one interaction versus the the big groups, do you think there is a better way to do things like trying to get to know someone individually first? Is it better to be in that big group and show up over and over again? You talked about kind of having meetings with someone that is also showing up in that repeated big group setting. What are your thoughts there? Is there like certain group dynamics that will be more effective to getting to know someone versus like going to a giant concert with 30,000 other people? Yeah. 
That's a great question. And I think it, it tends to be a little bit of both. You know, the benefit of, of the groups is mere exposure effect is happening. When our friends are friends with each other, such as like when we have a friend group, our relationships are more likely to sustain over time because one person in the group can reach out and then everybody's still yeah. friends, right? So that's awesome. So I am pro group, but I would say that to really de- like, you can feel good around the group, but you can also feel like I can't identify anyone in this group in particular who feels like, like a close friend to me. Mm-hmm. And so you also, if you want someone to really feel like your friend, you might have to spend side of the group one-on-one getting to know each other. Like, like how I talked about generating exclusivity, really important for feeling connected. What are your thoughts on best friends? Is that like a real thing that you've seen in the literature where you're like, yes, someone has a primary best friend that they go to the most. Is there, is that like add to long-term relationships and longevity or is it actually doesn't because it closes you off to other relationships and you're like, this is just like not even a real thing. Best friends are changing constantly. Like, what are your thoughts there? I, I like best friends, not not saying that everybody needs one, but yeah. I'll, I'll share my point about liking best friends because in friendship, all of our expectations are so ambiguous, right? Like I'm not marrying you. So I don't know if you're my confidant. I don't know if you're the person I call to move. I don't know if you're the person I call when I have a flat tire, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think if there's a mutual investment and in like we're each other's best friends, it clarifies expectations. We're free to expect things of each other. And that expectation, when it's given to someone who's also similarly invested, can actually deepen the relationship. Like giving and receiving support, that's something that's linked to deepen relationships over time. And so I like best friendship for the clarity of expectations. But again, I think you can access this with other friends if you just like have a conversation where you're just like, you know, are you someone who likes to help friends move? Or like, you know, how are you with instrumental support in friendship? Like, are you someone who likes to give more emotional support? Instrumental support as in like doing things for your friends versus mm-hmm. like supporting them emotionally. Like you can kind of just get those to figure out what sort of support each of those friends can give you. I think I also like best friends because I don't know why we don't understand this about romantic, well, spousal partnerships that that you can have a spouse and also like have a community and still have friends. And that's actually like good for your relationship because you're going to be able to like be more resilient when things go wrong in your relationship, when you have an outside community. But with, I think with best friends, we know that like, if I have a best friend, I still have other friends. It's not like this, like, you're going to be the only place that I invest my time and energy and everyone Mm -hmm. else is going to fall away. So it's not like the same, like, I don't know, exclusive orientation that we have when some people have, when they have a spouse. And so I do appreciate that it's a little less territorial. I mean, it's still territorial, right? But people are like, I'm your best friend, not them. (laughs) But you're like, yeah, I expect you to have other friends indeed. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think that's such an important thing, like distinction to make and something to be aware of. Um, For people that want to continue to learn about loneliness and friendship and these best practices and kind of just continue to educate themselves, because I feel like so much of what you've mentioned isn't commonly known. It isn't something that you think of when you're like, okay, I'm going to make a friend. I thinking of the episode of Big Bang Theory when I don't know if you watched that show, but I love it. Well, Sheldon wants to make friends with this guy 
Barry because he wants to borrow some like physics machine thing at the university and he goes to the store and he's like I need a book on how to make friends and the guy is like I think that's in the kids section and it's some like animal where it's like um, like the platypus makes friends at the zoo or no it's maybe like a toucan or something like that and he's like I think I can extrapolate the principles and translate this to other relationships then he tries to make friends with like a three-year-old girl and he's like would you like to go to the zoo sometimes and his friend is like no like this interaction is over it's just such such a funny episode but obviously kids books aren't necessarily the place to go but there has to be somewhere where people can learn about these tips and tricks and get this support and making friendships and new relationships what is your advice when people come to you and are like what are the resources how can I continue to expand my knowledge here maybe it's like social anxiety group maybe it's a podcast maybe it's someone to follow on Instagram what do you recommend Well, thank you for asking. Perfect way for me to share that I have a book that debuted September 6th, probably around the time this episode released, called Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends. It's like research, digestible, research-based book on how to make and keep friends. And other books that I really like, they're not necessarily related to friends, but I think they're really good at understanding relationships. Attached by Amir Levine and... All About Love by Bell Hooks. I think those are some really great books. We have a couple of friendship influencers that I like. Danielle Bayer-Jackson, she's on Instagram. Kat Bellos, Miriam Kermeyer. They all post really helpful tips on friendship. My website, www.drmarissagfranco.com for a free quiz that assesses your strengths and weaknesses as a friend. Awesome. Well, I will definitely link all of those in the show notes. To wrap things up, if there was one thing you wish that the general public knew about making friends that you feel like people aren't aware of and that they can take away from this episode and and implement, what would that be? There are like all so much research has shown me that the world is safer than we predict and people are more likely to accept us than we think. I talked about the liking gap. There's also research on something called the beautiful mess effects that finds that when we're vulnerable, we tend to to assume that people are judging us more than they actually are and underestimate how much they appreciate that vulnerability as an act of authenticity. When we affirm other people, we share how much we like and value them. We think it comes off as more awkward than it does. Yeah. We underestimate how much people appreciate it. And so I think just being open to the idea that some of your assumptions that our bodies hold, our brains hold, as humans, we have this negativity bias, we cling more to negative information, that people are going to reject you, that people don't really like you. Just be open to the possibility that that's not true, but recognize that the only true way that your body will register, that people are more loving and open than you think they are, is if you actually go out there and take the risk of intimacy, ask people to hang out be a little bit more vulnerable and then register when things succeed in your body, take in that safety and feel it. You can begin to combat that negativity bias and make friends. I love that so much. And I think, yeah, just perfectly wraps up everything we talked about and is so easy to apply in your relationships. It's a step you can take and I think is a great reminder for people that are struggling with making friendships or getting out of that space of loneliness and are experiencing all of that bias. So, so, so helpful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Franco. I'm so excited for everyone to listen to this episode. I know it's going to be so valuable. And yeah, thank you for sitting down with me. Thank you so much for having me.
Of course. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of She Persisted. If you enjoyed, make sure to share with a friend or family member. It really helps out the podcast. And if you haven't already, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also make sure to follow along at at She Persisted Podcast on both Instagram and TikTok and check out all the bonus resources, content, and information on my website, ShePersistedPodcast.com. Thanks for supporting, keep persisting, and I'll see you next week.